Our scripture reading today comes, oh, children, peace out. <laughs> Love y'all. We need something bright and blinking. Children dismiss. Our scripture reading today comes from Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people, like has never been seen before, nor will again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run, as with the rumbling of chariots they leap on the tops of mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up the houses they enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central. And um, <clears throat> had to tell somebody this week it doesn't get any better in Joel. Y'all tired of me here saying that? When is it finally going to not be about doom and gloom? Well, I'll tell you, when it's time for me to preach that message, then it'll stop being about doom and gloom. It isn't time yet, so y'all have to wait. But you don't have to wait to hear what God has to say to us today. The book and message of Joel literally is a blackhead pimple on the skin of the relationship between God and his people and this world. And for two weeks so far in this book, Joel has been squeezing us from all sides to finally bring the brokenness that is pressuring and burdening our relationship with God and each other to a head. I don't know about you, but just after two weeks, I want this thing to pop, right? Knowing full well that when it does, it will release a nasty, sinful mess. This week, Joel finally brings this message of the Lord's impending judgment to a decisive head. 
which for the next two and final sermons after this, we'll find and hopefully experience God's gracious relief and release. But this week is yet another painful pinch and push from the prophet Joel who speaks God's words to us. I've heard from some of you that you are glad to be in a church like ours, which is a relief, a respite, for some of your fundamental church experiences. You find oasis here from the fire and from the brimstone and the demeanor of the stereotypical church men and church ladies that go with it. Well, this week at Christ Central, because of what the Word of God is asking me to do, Tent Revival, Fire and Brimstone make a cameo appearance. So I'm asking you to prepare yourselves for what is a defining part of the God of the Bible, judgment. In this book of the prophet Joel, Joel uses locusts as a double analogy of of God's judgment, first representing God's familiar way of regulating. Remember the locust attacks in the Old Testament on Pharaoh? Well, even if you don't know or remember, locusts were bad news. They meant that possibly, I said possibly, that God was not happy with you or trying to teach you a real hard lesson. But the locusts uh, not only point to nostalgic divine judgment, Joel describes them here as an army, the most disciplined army you could ever know, determined and unstoppable to destroy the world as you and I know it. But before we get completely lost in an entomological haze, understand locusts are symbolically anything that possibly could make our world collapse. So if Joel were written today, he might use instead of locusts, worldwide nuclear holocaust or or the ozone finally burning off and burning us or or the super virus that shuts down all information and technology or some biological weapons accidentally sent out to the world with a no return address. Or it could be global financial collapse where no currency or substance or system is worth anything. But bottom line, this is about apocalypse. It is the day of the Lord, a a final and, and climactic world collapse of judgment. But what is different here in Joel than many other parts of the Bible is that this apocalyptic bomb is an equal opportunity for judgment, which means this extends to God's people too. All the church men and church ladies. So Joel is calling God's people too. Watch the throne, not the tiny tykes play play vinyl one Jay and Yeezy are sitting on, but but the divine throne, right? The the real throne, the one that sits on Zion, holy God's holy mountain, to watch the throne because from it is judgment. Judgment is coming from God, coming on people, you and me, and coming with certainty. Now, one thing among many that I believe makes this idea of divine judgment hard for you and me, is that often when we talk about judgment and divine judgment, it is touted and communicated from people who more often than not hold on to it like it is their own sense of justice on things and people and cultures and lifestyles they don't like or feel comfortable with. 
But Joel is making it clear from the very beginning of this passage that this judgment is coming from God, and it is about his justice. Look with me at verse 1 and then at verse 11. It says, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Then verse 11, it says, The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Whose day is it? The Lord's day. The day of the Lord. In fact, verse 1, he says, blow the trumpet on whose mountain? My mountain. God's holy mountain. This is an image, if you will, of the watchman who would sit high on a stand or on one of those turrets in front of the city gates and, and look out. And when he sees an enemy or armies approaching the city, he would tell the alarm guy to, to ring the bell or in this case to blow the trumpet and get the gates up and guards up. And all based on how and what. The watchman sees. And in verse 11, it says that God executes, that he judges based on his word. He has determined the rules of judgment engagement. God is the commissioner, coach, referee, and star player in this text. Simply put, God is acting and judging based on how he sees it and calls it from his holy mountain, from his heavenly throne. He sees it and calls it as the God of the universe who created all things and is Lord over all things, and he sits alone in that justice. In fact, Joel writes verse 1 in first person. This is God's voice speaking. This day of the Lord, gradual and or final judgment, is therefore completely God's justice. Not the preacher man, not the uptight people, not the loose hippies either. This is his voice. This is his alarm. This is his justice and his sense of justice. And so we all stand before the throne of God's justice like everyone else. Like Joel says, we all stand and should stand trembling. So it's true then. Nobody died and made anybody else God. So no, nobody else can judge you and me in this world on a cosmic, apocalyptic, eternal destiny level based on their personal viewpoint. But God, the one who took clay and made human beings and decided what and how he wanted them in this world to be, the God responsible for the breath you just breathed in, yeah, that one right there, when it comes to his right to judge the world the way he wants, we better stop tripping and debating God and tremble. Don't you see that he is Justice come and coming? There's a lot of imagery here to describe the locust and their destructive presence and how they tear everything up. The other night I was going in my mudroom and I opened the door and I had the cicada get in. And I was scared. You know, because they, them things crazy, man. They don't fly straight. You can't ever hit it right. Bumping in your head, getting on your clothes. I ran two rooms over and took a look, hoping my cat got in there first. Could you imagine hundreds of thousands of those things? We had a cicada swarming in, what was it, St. Louis or was it St. Louis? I had one of those things in my, on my back when I came in a house. That was Baltimore we had that. 
and you went, Kelly went crazy on me. I know what happened. She just started beating my back. Look, I'm sorry. Please don't abuse me. I mean, could you imagine those things flying and moving, but this time, as Joel describes, with precise determination? Not buzzing around, but believe it or not, they and their actions are not the most menacing piece or part of this picture of judgment. Now, the night we watched a scary movie with Amari and Cherise Hill, before they moved to New York, watching scary movies is one of their favorite things to do but one of my wife's most hated things to do. I like kind of some scary movies too. But she conceded to have fun with and for them. Well, it was one of those ghost movies, The Woman in Black, and that thing was just spooky, man. And Kelly later explained why she had such a hard time and won't watch movies with ghosts, stuff like that, though she will deal with the Jason and the slasher and the zombies and the sci-fi horror. Because you can control that a little bit, Right? But a ghost, a demon, puts what is killing you in a whole other level. Makes sense because you can't exterminate a ghost or demon with a spray or knife or gun, right? How do you stop a spirit? Well, Joel brings this judgment by natural things, locust, on a new horror level. By making it supernaturally driven. But not, ju- not just by any supernatural force. This is a person worse than a little ghost girl in the ring. Or the woman in black spooking a grown-up Harry Potter. This is paranormal activity on a whole new level. This judgment is the spooky appearance and paranormal activity of a wrathful God himself. Pushing and making things happen. Look with me at verse 3. Fire devours them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. It says that fire devours them, and be, being the locust, that something that is a fire goes before them. Joel is saying the fire is God's presence. It's a theophany. It's the presence of God in a natural manifestation. And then he says what in verse 10? The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkening, and the stars withdraw their shining. When the earth quakes, it is often used to point to God's heavy activity, kind of walking around the earth and and making things happen. And the shadow of his presence is darkening out the moon and the sun and the stars. My grandmama used to say during thunderstorms, stop talking, Howard. God is speaking. Because I would talk too much. But I got the point. But any way, if that weren't enough, look at verse 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? God is on the battlefield. He is there. He is there personally, leading the locusts and giving them his personal orders. And then when the locusts have taken on his precise, wrathful uh, personality, when it says that the day is great and awesome, those words used to describe God as a person. And by describing the day that way, Joel is saying the day of the Lord is God showing up and showing off and showing out. And he is the most terrible, horrific, and ghastly sight you and I could ever experience. 
whether you believe in a literal hell or not, let me tell you for this discussion of God's judgment what it is and isn't according to what the Bible teaches. Growing up, for me, the image of hell was devil kind of tormenting people. Like he had like a mini fire thrown down there, right? The Bible doesn't teach that. It says that the devil and all his demon buddies will be burning. They'll be in maximum security. Okay, so who is torturing people in hell and demons in hell? Who's keeping the fire hot? It is God himself who is the warden of hell, tormenting with a God-level holy war against sin. Yeah, God's great and awesomeness is in hell too. In fact, it is what makes hell, hell. Not the fire, but that God is angry down there. Get some of those false images out of your head. What Joel was showing us is this picture of God doesn't look like Santa Claus or Uncle Remus. He's not ho-hoing and zippity-doo dying around. He doesn't come across like anything Disney or Hallmark can give you. In fact, verse 6 says this. Before them, people are in anguish. All faces grow pale. They are spooked to the core by God and his judgmental presence. They just drop their hopes of turning it back or beating it when, when they realize this is not a regular locust attack. This is not even about a locust attack. This is God himself that is against us. It's over then that this is not about a world meltdown computer virus or an earthquake or wildfire or tsunami or hurricane. This is God in his terror coming against us in judgment. It is the worst horror anyone will ever face. And the horror of God's judgment is compounded by the fact that though it is happening through nature, earthquakes, natural resources, that it is coming on you and me because we are sinners. Every now and then we can have some sermons like this. So hang in there. Let me help us out here with one of the most commonly used words in Christendom, church world. Sin and sinner. Sin means missing the mark. It means trying and failing. It means failing to try or not caring to try or that you failed God and each other and thus being a failure for trying and failing and failing to try and not caring whether you try or fail. Sin is an act. It's a nature and we as human beings have it and are it. That's why we are called sinners because we have tried to be the humans God has called us to be and failed or failed to want or to try to be the human God wants us to be and because it is our nature to be like that. Sin entered the world through one disobedient act that led to an ontological outbreak And not only is it impossible for us to never sin, it is impossible for us not to be sinned against, which means we are all sinners because we are victims and thus damaged and dented and jalopied, if you will, by mistreatment and neglect by others. God's judgment is coming because we are, drop all your sentimentality for a minute, because we are not the island, but the world of misfit toys. And God is just not playing around or with us and our sinfulness. We don't look or act like what his word has called us to be. You don't think that's fair? Let me ask you something. 
would you spend full price on a toy for your kid that rarely works and be happy with it? Or, or, or get a toy that's defective and tell your kid, don't worry, we're supposed to be happy and fine with the misfit toy. No, we don't. We won't. Only in claymation world do we feel sorry for the misfit toy. But if our kid ends up with a misfit toy, you and I are going to take it back and get the better toy, right? So, so what if the toy is dangerous, right? A little poisonous red or yellow dye won't be too bad. It's okay to be six foot tall and 16 in second grade. It's okay. Think on the bright side. It's okay to swallow a small break-off piece of a defective toy or kid's furniture. We'll just be thankful for the time we did get to love you. Why do we not think about, think that way as parents who love our children and think somehow God can't and doesn't think the same way someone who loves and cares more than we do? Our sins are like dangerous toys that have been passed around from each other through generations in human history, and we have smit, spit and snotted the human germ and virus and sin on it. And by nature, we are like little kids. Inevitably, we will put it in our own mouths. The good news here is that everything broken and nasty and viral will be dealt with. But the bad news is we are broken too. Joel says this in verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. He is saying people, especially back then, when they saw locusts, they knew what it meant. They'd done something wrong. There was sin, and and things were not right in them or around them, and by their own doing. In fact, verse 5 talks about the crackling flame and the fire, and then in verse Three, it it, it says again about the fire. Two things here as far as God judging and dealing with sin. It says fire and flame. It is fire and brimstone. It is a sign of purifying and destroying all that and who stands in God's holy way. All that is unholy and broken. And Joel is saying, not me. Joel is saying that this God is promising to bring that kind of judgment against human beings against and in the lives of his own people. And the last verse of the passage says, who can endure it? In other words, this is about people being judged. This is why you and I, who can't endure it because we have no moral standing on our own that keeps us from being judged, seeing that we've been found by God, sinners and founded and all up in a world that is sin broken. And there is this moment of shock and awe when people realize on the day of the Lord that they are not holy or holy according to God's holy justice, that they have been found unjust sinners before his army of justice. And it is not the pain here only. It is the shame of having the lights turned on and the clothes ripped off your soul and off your life of of our sense of self-made worth and believing we knew and lived best without God. We must ask ourselves if we and when we stand before God as sinners in a sinful world, what will be left of us? What will be our defense? What will be our covering? Joel says nothing that we can do or produce or say or bargain. What is horrifying is that this judgment of people on earth is certain. This is why Joel says in verse 12, who can bear it? And then he talks about the anguish in people's face and the people tremble. It is coming with certain exactness. I just want to go through the description of the army of locusts for you and help you understand the exact 
perfect and share pervasive, all-encompassing nature of God's judgment on this thing. Focus on how the locusts are described. I'm just going to read verse 2. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Darkness because there's so many locusts. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their, their like has never been before. No will be again after them through the years of all generation. Fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The, the land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like war horses they run as with the rumbling of chariots they leap up on the mountain tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble. Y'all ever heard like one time those worms were coming down from my trees? Remember that? Those canker, what canker worms and things called? And I was standing in my backyard and I heard this. What is that noise? Close examination, my llama's getting eaten. But anyway, so... He's describing them eating the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, people are in anguish and all faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They don't swerve from their past. They don't jostle one another. Each marches in his past. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They, they leap upon the city. They, they run upon the walls. They, they climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. How can I say it? No better than what Joel has. This is complete and perfect judgment. Nothing and no one escapes it. No one loopholes out of it. Everything everyone has ever done, in this case, all the stuff they played in, so every motive, every corner of every heart of anything everyone has ever done is going to be judged. Every shameful, shameful thought every day, 24 hours a day of all our lives of every single person is going to be judged. Nothing will be overlooked or underlooked or double booked or misappropriated. There is no loss of evidence in your life. There are no sealed records. There's nothing that has ever been created or recreated or managed or maintained that will not be judged. There will be no 5 4 judgments or split decisions or no need for instant replay or ref standing in the wrong place to call a foul. When it comes to God's judgment on us, there are no blind spots or closed closets. There is nothing we can hold on to and that we have made ourselves that we will be able to hold on to when we stand before him. Like I said earlier, this is the removal of every single stitch of anything, all judged, all ripped and burned away, completely and perfectly and exhaustively judged by God. That's why the people are trembling. The God who sees it all will handle it all in judgment. Nothing you do or done or has been done wrongly, done to you, has escaped, or been lost in history or just the past, or some problem or issue you can die and leave behind to, to your, you know, the people behind you. There is no hiding out or duping God, because on the day of the Lord, when we stand before the throne, or in this case, the chariot throne of God in judgment, as he rolls up on and in our lives, then, then we'll be as if it is now. Who can endure and who or what can escape it? Nothing is dark to God's judging eyes and actions. And understand this. This is God talking, and he's making clear that this day is definitely coming. 
He says, blow the trumpet on my holy mountain. When we read Joel, when we hear this word preached, and trust me, I'm listening to it too. I've been listening to it all week. I didn't heard it like five or six times. The trumpet has been blown today, this morning. God has let you and me know that his day is coming. And it is conclusive and decisive. Verse 2 says what? That generations will not be able to even take what's been left behind. Verse 3 says a flame burns behind them. That means there's, there's nothing left. They will leave no more earthly life or ability to live on this earth behind them. This is about the last day, but also about your last days. The Bible says that this, this that is appointed unto a human wants to live and then the judgment. There is no reincarnation. Thank goodness. I don't know if I'm going to live again. I want to go to something better. I don't be a human being again. No. Just a regular old human back in the sinful world. No. I want to go someplace else. Your day to be a part of the Lord's day is coming. And you know it. I don't have to sit up here and preach any longer. You know it because you've seen that death is inevitable. Anybody you've ever known will die. You've seen that all things fall apart. You've seen and felt earthquake. You've been prepared and prompted and ushered and addressed for this day all of your lives. Don't fool yourself. Everything in your world says something is coming, and in this case, someone is coming. And when the Lord does, and that day and your day meet, it will be your and mine and everybody else's manifest divine destiny. To have lived and then to meet our maker is coming. So watch the throne. See, hear, honor, bow down to what God is doing and saying and offering. The day is coming for you and me. And when I read this, I'm like, well, this guy, you know, no, I, I, I'm escape this one. I'll be the one person who doesn't have to deal with this, right? Don't work like that. You're different. God is love, right? Yes, he is. God loves what he has done so much, he's going to take it out and purify it with a divine fire. I don't like preaching this kind of stuff a lot because I like to live on the God of love stuff too. But this is true. It's coming. We can hear the locusts eating now. We can see it in our lives. We can see it. Look at the news. Just open the newspaper. Tell me locusts aren't already beginning to eat stuff. I promise y'all hope is coming. (laughs) The trumpet has been blown and the watchman has spoken in verse 1. And the signs that that day is coming and what it will be like has already gone out. Let me close with this. And the one sign and trumpet and warning and calling God has given us that we can all look to for certainty is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He blew the horn. He cried out during his life and especially at his death. 
See, on the cross, Jesus faced the wrathful face of God, carrying the sins and sinfulness of the world. He stood in the locust, if you will, of God's wrath, beat and tore his body. He was stripped to shameful exposure on the cross, and the Lord's hell wrath came on him. Who can endure it, you ask? The Lord Jesus did. And you and I can't. And we won't look at and to him. Look at what he experienced when he died. We should tremble and our faces grow pale in anguish before his judgment eaten and torn apart and pierced body. The Bible says the day of, uh, the day of his death that the earth shook. It was a day of darkness, of, of gloom, because Jesus stood in judgment. He faced the judgment of the day of the Lord so that we can face the Lord having had first a day of redemption. The day of the Lord is coming. That's why Jesus came. His death, his resurrection is our only hope. We will break that open more next week.